hppodcraft.com. The Orange Hotel stands in High Street near the railway station in Bloemfontein, South Africa. On Sunday, January 24, 1932, four men sat shivering from terror in a room on its third floor. One was George C. Titteridge, proprietor of the hotel. Another was Police Constable Ian DeWitt of the Central Station. A third was Johannes Bogart, the local coroner. The fourth, and apparently the least disorganized of the group, was Dr. Cornelius Van Coolen, the coroner's physician. On the floor, uncomfortably evident amidst the stifling summer heat, was the body of a dead man. But this was not what the four were afraid of. Their glances wandered from the table, on which lay a curious assortment of things, to the ceiling overhead, across whose smooth whiteness a series of huge, faltering alphabetical characters had somehow been scrawled in ink. And every now and then, Dr. Van Coolen would glance half-furtively at a worn leather blank book which he held in his left hand. The horror of the four seemed about equally divided among the blank book, the scrawled words on the ceiling, and a dead fly of peculiar aspect which floated in a bottle of ammonia on the table. Also on the table were an open inkwell, a pen and writing pad, a physician's medical case, a bottle of hydrochloric acid, and a tumbler about a quarter full of black oxide of manganese. That was the first few paragraphs from H.P. Lovecraft and Hazel Heald's Winged Death. And you are listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at hppodcraft.com, my name is Chad Pfeiffer. And I am Chris Lackey, and we will guide you through this story. You know what? I, I'm no reason to get to this at the end of the thing. I really liked this one. It was very, really good. I, I really enjoyed reading it. Yeah, I enjoyed reading it, too. Except when I talk about it, it's a really stupid idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to tell my wife about it in the grocery store last night, and she just couldn't, I mean... Yeah. Every once in a while she'd go, wait, what? There was a fly doing what? It sounds ridiculous and stupid, but when I actually read it, I really enjoyed it. And when it was over, I go, oh, yeah. It was good stuff. I should mention that our reader that we heard in those first couple of paragraphs was J.P. Moore, who may be uh, familiar to people in our audience. He's a horror novelist. A weird tale author. He uh, wrote Toothless. Yeah, he's the author of Toothless, which is a zombie apocalypse tale set in medieval Europe. Lots of folks have been enjoying it. And the great thing about that is that 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 book began life as a podcast. In 2009, he was actually reading it and podcasting the book. And it kind of got an audience and then wound up in print. And that's really how the the life of the book. I I just think that's such a neat way to approach it. Yeah. Uh, So many people are getting so much like us out of the podcasting biz. And it's just really cool that that worked out for him. In fact, the print edition... Uh, from Dragon Moon Press, that's the, the company that ended up putting it out, just won the gold medal in horror in the 2010 Forward Book of the Year Awards. So it's hmm. an award-winning book, Toothless. I think everybody should check it out. We'll put a link up to it, obviously. And and you can find out more about JP stuff at jpmoreonline.com. We'll put up a link to that as well. But he's working on another novel now called The Old God, which is obviously Lovecraftian. some Lovecraftian. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, great. And I think that's going to be really cool. He's, I think he started podcasting that as well. Oh. But right now he's podcasting about Winged Death, which as we commented on last time is a great title. Yeah. I was hoping that it was going to be some kind of like um, gargoyle monster creature, but no, it's a it's going to it's about a fly. It is about a fly. The story starts off in a hotel in South Africa and there are four guys in a room. The owner, George, a policeman named Ian, Johannes, the coroner and Cornelius, a physician. Yeah. And they found this dead body. There is a journal. There's some crazy writing on the ceiling and there's a dead bug floating in a solution. 
And then just forget about those guys because they don't really come up much in the story at all. No, they're just sort of the just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're the guys at the end that, that find everything and then have to piece it together, although it's not tough to do because the journal that they find has all of the information. In fact, that's the content of the story. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just this journal. They know this journal is connected to some unsolved murder, and the guy who checked into the hotel is a different name than the name of the journal. And the journal is the Journal of Thomas Slavon White, MD. Obviously, Lovecraft has this rep for writing New England horror. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's set up there in that spooky Arkham country. But I love it that there are so many varied settings in his stories, really, when you go through it the way that we have. Yeah. We've got stuff in California. We've got stuff. In, and this is a South African setting, which I don't think we've seen before. No, 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 not at all. It's so cool. It's just I, I'm just so glad that, that we've got all these different locales. I just never knew because I never had read so many of these collaborations or yeah. anything like that. And this setting I really liked. Africa, what a great place to set a mystery. Yeah. Well, I was gripped by those first couple paragraphs. wanted to find out what's going on. They go right into the journal and we start learning what the deal is. It's good because uh, it starts off January 5th, 1929. I have now fully resolved to kill Dr. Henry Moore. It's like, what? Yep. <laughs> right up the bat. He's just like, I'm going to start a journal about how I'm going to kill this guy. And he goes in to explain that this uh, Dr. Henry Moore was a colleague of his. They worked together and Tom, the guy that's writing this journal, found these notes of a Sir Norman Sloan who did some research. And so he kind of did some additional research based off Sloan's research. Well, he's full of Like, it's so obvious right away. I mean, the, the character of this guy comes through really strongly right away. Yeah. And, and the thing I like about it is, yeah, he's done this research and he is up for a knighthood. Yeah. Big deal. He's going to be a very famous doctor. But the way he says it, he goes, aided only slightly by the papers of the late government physician, which I found in the house I occupied. He mentions it, but he's like, it didn't, you know, wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And when I read that, even without the other guy exposing him, I was like, what? That's a weird way to say it. Yeah. Aided only slightly. Yeah. Thou doth protest too much because what I think he did is rip that guy off. And Henry Moore agrees with you. And he got it out in the open that this guy found these notes and that there were letters to corroborate this outside of it. He wasn't defamed completely, but he, his knighthood was withdrawn and all those mm -hmm. things. And, and so now this guy, Tom, is just, he wants Henry dead. But of course, he's... <laughs> yeah. He's a bit of a coward, so he's got to come up with some crazy elaborate scheme to, to kill him. And that's what this story is about. Yeah, it's the craziest scheme to, <laughs> to kill this guy. It's just a revenge. This is his revenge journal. You know everybody's got a revenge journal laying around somewhere. What? I'm still working on mine. You have a revenge journal? Kind of in, in his disgrace, he moves up close to the Ugandan border. Mm -hmm. And that's where he's working on his his plan, his plan to, to do these things. <laughs> and he finds this guy who's sick. He's been bitten by this bug, which gives a strange mark on him. And there's shuffling. He's kind of shuffling around and he's sort of zombie-like. And the interpreter, Gobo, with his buddies, Boober and Wembley, they say that, that this is a common thing and it happens every once in a while. So he writes to one of his friends about this bug and it's supposedly this devil fly and... And he takes some samples from it, and there's tainted crocodile meat and all this business. And he figures out a cure for this. But then he goes, wait a minute. This would be the perfect thing to kill Henry. I, it's perfect. But I don't want Henry to recognize what type of bug it is because then he will know it's poisonous. So I've got to breed a new kind of bug that carries this virus or, or bacteria that causes this zombie-like sickness and eventually ends in death. I, I think that... The reason I was enjoying this so much while I was so attracted to it is I love very complicated revenge plans. My favorite yeah. <laughs> characters in literature are just, you know, jerks who want to 
hurt other people. I don't know why, but you know, Iago is always my favorite character in Shakespeare because there's you don't really know why he's so mad, but he's going to destroy Othello, and he does it through all of these small and th- this whole. I mean, he's really thinking it through. I'm going to send this guy this virulent bug that's going to bite him and kill him. But he's an etymologist, so he's going to know. You know, he'll recognize what this thing is. Right. So I have to disguise the fly. <laughs> There's a lot of disguising going on, right? He's got to disguise the fly somehow. So he decides yes. he's going to breed it with some other tzatziki flies so that it comes out with this kind of hybrid insect. And then he's even then afraid that there's too many markings on it, so he dyes the thing's wings blue. And then he he needs to send it to the guy. Now, the, obviously, the guy he's going to kill uh, more you know, he knows that he's after him. Right. He knows he doesn't like him, so he doesn't want him to find out that it's him that's going to do it. So what he he's going to go create a whole other persona in another part of Africa and send it from there. Yeah. It's kind of like you wanted to confuse, you want to send somebody a letter and confuse them. You send it to another friend who will send it from where they are, so they can, the postmark is off. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, it, it's a it's a great plan. He's he's hatching there. Before he does this, however, he has to find out where these bugs come from. And one of the guys, Mavana, takes him out to where he got bit. And it's this decayed, jungly, weird place. And there's by it's right by these cyclopean ruins. Yeah, yeah. yeah where there it's the, there's these megaliths, and they said that they are haunted uh, by the fissures from the outside, and that they're evil gods. And it's a uh, Sithagwa and Cthulhu, but they're spelled differently and probably yeah. Sithagwa like, and Cthulhu. So there's you know Lovecraft, man, he just can't pass it up. He always no. got to throw that in there. Love it. Yeah, he just gets it in there. Yeah. Cthulhu's coming in one way or another. He's got he's to work it in. I thought that was cool, though, because he didn't go overboard with it. It's just no. a mention. Just a mention the, right there. This uh, poisonous fly is tied up with it, with the old gods somehow. That's kind of yeah. cool. I love that the uh, this character is such a sociopath. He has, Mavana is got bitten, and when he figures out how he can slowly cure him with this uh, in, these injections, mm-hmm. he's not doing it because he cares about the guy. No. He's doing it because he wants to get him healthy enough so he can bring him back out to where he got bitten. Yeah. And show him what the stuff is, you know? He's just such a jerk. Like, he really doesn't care about anybody. He gets uh, Bada, his servant, and he gets him in with a fly, so the fly bites him. And then he also, there's this guy, Gamba, who's a messenger, and he gets him bit by the bug. You know, these guys didn't volunteer for this. They don't understand what's happening. <laughs> no, he just wants to test it out. He wants to test it. And they just happen to be, you know, in his quarters. And he's like, hey, come over here. Don't pay attention to that fly. And then the fly bites him, and they get sick. And they get sick. But then he cures uh, Gamba. But he doesn't cure Bada because he wants to make sure that he's going to die with these new genetically engineered yeah. flies. So he's you're right. He's a total sociopath. He just is experimenting on these human beings for his own nefarious goals. Well, he doesn't see them as human beings, really. I mean, he you know he uses the N word to describe them, and they're yes. they're subhuman to him. And and uh, and actually, he regrets not killing Gamba later because he thinks, yeah, really would have been nice to see how this worked on two different people because it might be different per person, you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he's such a bad person. We're leaving out something very important, which is the the legends that the natives have about this fly. Yes, specifically, exactly. is that it will bite you, it will kill you, and when you die, your consciousness will go into the fly that bit you. Yeah, your soul, your memories, all that stuff. Everything. Yeah. Which, as soon as I read that, I thought, okay, I can see what. Yeah, see where this is going. <laughs> I can see where this is going, you know. But I didn't mind. I, I really didn't, you know. I was like, I can't wait to see how this plays out. Even though I know what's eventually going to happen, I want to know all the, the details that get us there. We bring up these details because after Bana dies, something strange happens. November 18th. Bada died yesterday, and a curious thing happened, which gave me a real shiver in view of the native legends and Bada's own fears. When I returned to the laboratory after the death, I heard the most singular buzzing and thrashing in cage 12, which contained the fly that bit Bata. 
The creature seemed frantic, but stopped still when I appeared, lighting on the wire netting and looking at me in the oddest way. It reached its legs through the wires as if it were bewildered. When I came back from dining with Alan, the thing was dead. Evidently, it had gone wild and beaten its life out on the sides of the cage. So that kind of, that, that, that lends some credence to this theory that the soul goes into the fly. Right. I mean, what happened was Bata realized where he was, is kind of confused, what's going on? Oh my God, I'm a fly in a cage, and then he, he killed himself. Well, it's a pretty horrific ending to be trapped in a fly body, as seen in the, the movie The Fly. Yeah. Help me. <laughs> exactly. So after he, he breeds the fly, uh, he disguises the fly, he tests it on these guys, and sees that, that the new flies, these hybrid flies he's created, are just as virulent. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris, I was a little confused, though. Do the flies themselves have... I mean, their bite is poisonous, or is it because they're carrying bacteria they get from tainted meat? It is. It's from the tainted meat. He figures that out eventually. It's tainted crocodile meat. Yeah. And I was a little fuzzy on that myself, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is. And he makes sure when he ships these bugs in there that he... Well, he's able to also extract just the... The bacteria that causes this or virus, the mm-hmm. the germ. He calls it a germ. He says the germ. He's able to take that germ out of the of the tainted meat and and cultivate it outside of the bugs right. and things. So he's able to kind of use that tainted meat and the bugs eat it and then they carry it. Pretty. <laughs> if you think about it though, maybe it has some kind of crazy other uses where it's like if you eat the meat, maybe then if you bite somebody and they die, then they're trans- they'll, they'll transfer their consciousness oh. into your body. Yeah, I never thought of that. I don't know if that would work, but... Um, <laughs> you should try it out. I should this try is, it out. I mean, this is kind of a, um, a precursor to the anthrax scare in a way. I mean, he's going to send... Uh, uh, <laughs> sending, you know, death through the mail. I'm, I'm going to send him these bugs and carelessly say, yeah, don't worry about it when you open this package. Just let him fly around the room. But I wish that he was a little more specific about how he does that. Yeah. Well, let's get into his plan a little bit. So what he, he makes up a whole other identity, Neville Wayland Hall. Yeah. This is his... Uh, his colleague, you know, brother scientist character that he makes up. He says he's an entomologist from London, so he's a bug right. expert. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he writes in the letter in the package that goes with the bugs. He says, you know, oh, these are completely harmless. Nothing to worry about. But I want you to take a look at them because I've never seen anything quite like them. And maybe you can, you know, help me identify them. Yeah. That's in the letter. So in the package that he sends to deliver the package, he grows a beard so that the people in the village that he delivers it see a bearded guy. Uh-huh. And then he shaves off the beard and goes back to... The village where he came from. Now, he was in the village for however long, you know, months that it takes to grow a beard. Yeah, nobody's noticed that he was growing a beard? Yeah. Maybe he always had a surgeon's mask on all the time. (laughs) (laughs) He's growing his beard under that. But yeah, he grows his beard, he shaves it into a Van Dyke, he goes to another part of the country, he ships the flies off with the casual mention that they're completely harmless to his enemy. And then he shaves the beard, gets in the bush, comes back, and then goes about his business, hoping that he will hear from his colleagues about the fate of you know what happened. Hurrah! The first step works. <laughs> it, got, it was able to get to him, but he doesn't know if he was bit or what happened or any of those things. But then he finds out soon after that, yeah, he actually did get bit. And so he's like, all right, he's going to get sick and he's going to die. A small journal entry, one after the other, just sort of updating on the, all the different things that are going on. Yeah, the guy's gotten tired. He's weak. He's complaining yes. of this insect bite. And then after a while more starts to get pretty suspicious. Yeah. Or he he imagines it, it that he got suspicious. Because some of his, some of the other people figure it out, or he thinks they do, right? Because yeah, he gets that, well, like they, really kind of chilly letters from some of these guys. And they, Well, they stop writing him. Some of them even just stop writing Tom. And that there is some kind of investigation that's going on, he finds out too. Eventually, in the Mombasa Gazette, he finds out that, that he's dead. That 
he finally died. Success. Success, yeah, it worked out for him. But the police sus suspect something was up, and he was investigating that these flies had a virus, and they were sent to him intentionally. So they're checking yeah. into all of his enemies. So Tom is like, oh, no, they're on to me. <laughs> yeah, so he creates another identity for himself, Frederick Naismith Mason of Toronto, Canada, broker in mining properties. Yeah. Now, if he was going to have to create an entirely new identity and move somewhere else and, and do all this business, the whole fly thing seems kind of like worthless. Yeah, yeah, it's that's really, exactly what I was thinking. Why didn't he just kill the guy? With, why didn't he just stab him? If he's going to go through all, well, I, I would argue that he didn't stab him just because he's a bit of a coward. Hmm. You know, and having to get a knife and go in and attack a guy. Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't do it because he's a coward. No. I mean, that's 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 what the fun in his character is that he's an evil, cowardly. Yeah, you know, he gets bugs to do his guy. dirty work for him. <laughs> now, when he gets the report of Moore's death, and he knows that all of the enemies are being looked up. These, the AP hints that an investigation possibly involving an eminent physician now abroad will follow. So he knows they're tipped off to it. Yeah. But another thing that creeps him out is that, you know, in, in view of what happened with Bada, is that the night of Moore's death, their mutual friend that kind of reported on this Dyson was aroused by the buzzing of this blue-winged fly, yeah. which immediately flew out of the window just before the nurse telephoned of Moore's death. Yeah. And then we get into that Jaws 4, the revenge kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you remember in that movie, like the shark followed her from, from the East Coast to the Bahamas? Because yeah. It's that same kind of thing. This fly, I wish that there was a whole story about the fly getting to Africa. Got to like get into somebody's luggage. Do you think he just flew? I don't think a fly can do that. They, they I don't think so. They get tired. They'll have to rest for They can't fly for days and days and days. And they don't fly very fast. And if, if it's windy at all, you know, flies can't really fly against a strong wind. It didn't take him long, though. So he must have hitched a ride somehow. Well, we get into the second chapter. And it's a new year. When we ended the first chapter there, there's only two chapters in the thing. But when yeah. we, we ended the first half, he says, you know what? These guys are after me. I'm not going to take any chances. I'm going to I'm gonna go to Mombasa. I'm going to go to Durban. I'm going to drop from sight. And then I'm going to take up this new identity. And this is the end of my journal. And the reason he's writing the journal is he wants people to know that he did it. Yeah. Because why would you, if you execute a plan like this, you want people to know. He, he, doesn't, he wants people to know what a genius he is in his revenge plan. Exactly. So he's hoping that they'll find it when he dies. Little does he know that's going to happen very soon. So the new year starts and he decides he's going to start writing in his journal again because an insect invades his room and he notices that it's got blue stained wings. It's one of the creatures. And he thinks to himself, wait, I killed all the ones that were around here. None of them could have escaped. It doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe it's not an actual fly. He is questioning his sanity. And the fun thing that is that the... Um Moore was very famous for a book that he wrote, Diptera of Central and Southern Africa. Right. The fly, when it gets into his hotel room, keeps hovering around that book. Yeah. I mean, it's just saying, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm the guy you killed. And that's basically what's happening. This goes on for a few days. The fly just keeps showing up and sort of hanging around the book mm. and making him nervous and kind of freaking him out a little bit. But then it does something strange. January 18th. Into what strange hell of living nightmare am I plunged? What occurred today is something which could not normally happen, and yet a hotel attendant has seen the marks on the ceiling and concedes their reality. About 11 o'clock this morning, as I was writing on a manuscript, something darted down to the inkwell for a second and flashed aloft again before I could see what it was. Looking up, I saw that hellish fly on the ceiling as it had been before, crawling along and tracing another trail of curves and turns. There was nothing I could do, but I folded a newspaper in readiness to get the creature if it should fly near enough. 
When it had made several turns on the ceiling, it flew into a dark corner and disappeared, and as I looked upward at the doubly defaced plastering, I saw that the new ink trail was that of a huge and unmistakable figure five. <laughs> and suddenly we're in the ring. Yeah. You know, there's this, like, countdown. I mean, that's I, right away I knew what was going on. Yeah. Oh, then we're going to see a four, and then a three, and then a two, and then a one, then, then the yeah. bad thing's going to happen. So this more through this fly is essentially toying with him yeah. trying to kind of terrorize him in his last days before he dispatches him but I, yeah. I found that why would he do that I mean I think he should just take care of his business I guess it's just to sort of stretch out the terror and you know get his own revenge on him but yeah, you're right though because I was thinking he's a fly he shouldn't screw around yeah, his lifespan's not very long, and on top of that, I mean, he's pretty easy to kill. One of the things he doesn't figure out is, uh, like, to get a fly swatter. So what if he did figure that out? Well, he's got rolled up magazines and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> come funny. on. A rolled up magazine is not as good as a fly swatter. Everybody knows that. Yeah, you're right. It's not. Well, I just figured, why wouldn't he bite him? Because it takes months to die from this thing. Bite him and then torment him. You know, fly around. Yeah. Do that kind of thing. Well, anyway, this is his. This is what he's going to do. He writes a five on the ceiling. Tom, our, our main guy, starts coming up with all different kinds of sticky mixtures and stuff. Trying, you know, he puts up a fake ink, ink pot when he catches yeah. on to his game that he's dipping his legs in the ink pot. Puts up a fake one with some sticky stuff in it, to tr but the fly doesn't no. fall for it. No, fly doesn't. No, he, he totally gets it. He starts doing this thing where he flies up against the screen. So first he does it five times in like a rhythm of five, yeah. and then then he starts doing it. The next day he does it in a rhythm of four, and the next day he does it in a rhythm of two, and so on and so on. And then finally on, on a day, he taps it once and then does like kind of a little circle. Mm. He gets freaked out and he locks himself in the hotel room and he tries to plug up like all the, the locks and all the things so that it won't get in there. The fly gets in and he sees it hovering around the clock at around 12. Oh yeah, like it, cl it crawls up saying that once 12 strikes, you're gonna get it. Yeah. And we've definitely confirmed the identity by that point because there, there was a part earlier where he says, more, more for God's sake, what do you want? And the fly does a little bow, which I thought was great. <laughs> Yeah. The fly hovers as if to, to emulate a bow and then comes back up. I was like, that's actually, I thought that was really cool. I, I really enjoyed that. Well, this is our protagonist slash antagonist character. This is his final plan, which is a terrible plan. Uh, he wants to asphyxiate the fly by, <laughs> this is crazy. Releasing some chlorine gas. Chlorine in the room, gas right? in the room, but using an ammonia sealed handkerchief over his face. So it'll kill the... Now, I don't know much about chlorine gas and ammonia-sealed handkerchiefs, but it, it seems like a bad idea. I wonder if that's the same handkerchief he used earlier to disguise his beard. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he says, this is it. This is going to happen. It's 1130. It's, he knows it's going to happen soon, whatever is going to happen at, at midnight. Mm. And that's the last journal entry. And then we come back to our room with the guys sitting around the body. Now, now one thing that the protagonist speculates on, the fly bit more, and so Moore's consciousness went into the fly. Now, if the Moore fly bites him, yeah. his consciousness will go into the fly, and Moore will be out of there. So I guess Moore will go be at peace, and then he'll be trapped in the fly. Yeah. What he dies of, he doesn't actually die of the bug bite. He dies of a heart attack. Then they suspect he died of, of fear. <laughs> heart failure induced by sheer fright. That's right. They figure out it's him. They look there, but there's the kind of the last realization of exactly what happened. What it, there's more tracks. There's more ink mark tracks made by the fly up on the ceiling. And that's kind of what's freaking everybody out. For beyond a doubt, these inky smudges formed definite letters of the alphabet, letters coherently arranged in English words. 
The doctor was the first to make them out clearly, and the others listened breathlessly as he recited the insane-sounding message so incredibly scrawled in a place no human hand could reach. See my journal. It got me first. I died, then I saw I was in it. The blacks are right, strange powers in nature. Now I will drown what is left. Presently, amidst the puzzled hush that followed, Dr. Van Coolen commenced reading aloud from the worn leather journal. So he killed himself. He, he dropped into the, to the ammonia that was in the jar. Fly Tom decided that he couldn't bear being a fly. So that was it. And that's the end of the story. Two fly suicides. <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of it. I laughed out loud when I read the part in that, that we just heard when he said the insane sounding message so incredibly scrawled in a place no human hand could reach. That made me laugh out loud when I was reading. What are you talking about? It's the ceiling of a room. How high is the ceiling? Why don't you just pull up? I mean, what do you mean no human hand could reach it? Human hands built that room. Yeah. Clearly a human hand reached it at some point. Yes. It's a hotel that humans built. Like, what are you yes. talking about? What? Get a, a step stool or a chair, <laughs> like yeah. a ladder. Of course, a human hand could reach it. Still, I, I, I have to say, though, I enjoyed I enjoyed reading this story. I thought it was a fun little read. I just like revenge tales, and I like this guy was so crazy and, and mean, and it reminded me of that other, The Man of Stone. Oh, yeah. He's the same kind of thing. A journal where a guy's talking about his revenge plans, and et cetera, and then it backfires. Some backstory on this. It was written in the summer of 1932 and then first published in Weird Tales in 1934. Now, what was interesting about this story, in a letter, H.P. Lovecraft says, well, let me read it. Something odd befell a client of mine the other day involving a story element which I had intended and introduced under the impression that it was strictly original with me. The tale was sent to Handsome Harry Bates and he rejected it on the grounds that the element in question, the act of an insect dipping itself into ink and writing on a white surface with its own body, formed the crux of another tale which had been accepted. Hell's bells! And I thought I hit on an idea of absolute novelty and uniqueness. Originally, when he was writing the story, some other guy had written another story about a fly writing huh. in ink. That reminds me of uh, was the, the commonplace Lovecraft's commonplace book. Isn't there something in there where he's got a cat writing? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it's some kind of weird thing where it's like a guy dies and then his cat becomes hyper intelligent and then somebody makes some kind of writing apparatus for the cat. I don't remember. It's something like that that I really wish had been made into a story. This story was originally submitted to Strange Tales, but sub, uh, but Strange Tales went under before the story ever got bought and it never happened. So eventually it got picked up by, by Weird Tales. H.P. Lovecraft wrote about this story. Winged death is nothing to run a temperature over. My share in it is something like 90 to 95%. <laughs> Not much of a collaborator, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, no, no. It doesn't seem like uh, he's got, he likes to do things his way. That's a pretty straightforward story. I mean, I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's pretty hokey, but I, there's something about it that appealed to me. Again, it's that sort of crazed mad scientist sort mm -hmm. of tale that uh, just... As hokey as it is, the, the very pulpy nature of it just appeals to me. Yep, that's exactly it. So we did make it to this show. I have a feeling that we're going to be off after this. Well, yeah, um, I'm recording Sunday night, and so I'm going to try and edit this as quickly as possible in the in case my wife goes into labor at any moment. Typically, babies can be up to two weeks late before they'll okay. decide to induce, so we might have another episode next week. Yeah, we'll see. Which is going to be another Hazel Healed story. 
Out of the Aeons. Yes, Out of the Aeons. I'm looking forward to that one. I've heard good things. Which has Randolph Carter in there, I believe. I want to thank J.P. Moore for reading for us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Great job. That really sounded great. And I want people to go to his website and check out uh, The Old God and, and, and check out Toothless and the things that he's been working on. Great guy. Friend of the show. Thanks, J.P. And with that, I am Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this has been the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com. That's kind of romantic the way I said that at the end there. Yeah, it was. I try to seduce people.